0: Hey, Love Tribe, just a few quick questions before we get started today. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a strong more intimate connection with your partner, and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock.
1: so much for joining me on today's show, where I welcome Catherine Roach. And Catherine has 25 years of grant-funded research experience on gender, sexuality, and American pop culture. She's a two-time Fulbright awardee with a PhD from Harvard and publications in both fiction and nonfiction. And she's been an invited visiting professor in Canada, Australia, and Europe. And today, her and I talk about the theme of her latest book, Good Sex, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution. We talk about what makes good sex, what sex is worth having. We talk about how to navigate sex with your kids and talking about sex, making sure that we're not creating shame around sex, how to think back on our own childhood and how that frames how we think about sex today. And of course, if we're able to think about sex more objectively and realize all of the things that shape how we think about it, you know, obviously pop culture, social media, how we are raised, a lot of times we can create a more healthy relationship with it and then have better sex in our partnerships. So I really enjoyed today's conversation with Catherine. I know you guys will too. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
2: I'm delighted to be here, Chase. Thanks for the invitation.
1: So in your bio, I told our listeners about your history and research and your latest book. So I thought a good place for us to start would be having you tell our listeners what motivated you to write this book, why you like talking about society and sex, and then we'll get into some of the details from the book.
2: Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, I was motivated for this book, more than any of the other books that I've written in the past, uh, entirely by my students. So I'm a professor of gender, sexuality, pop culture studies, teach undergraduates at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And for years, I taught a small seminar of about 15 or 16 students uh, on those topics. And the students would bring me so many stories about Um, what it's like to be a young person growing up uh, in America now, trying to figure out relationships, trying to figure out issues of uh, gender and sexual identity, uh, often having to navigate uh, issues of shame and trauma, bullying uh, around the body, around sexual assault or or, um, sexual harassment, sexual bullying in various forms. And I just felt I needed to scale up the small seminar I was doing to something bigger in order to impact, um, have a wider uh, impact on campus conversation about gender and sexual diversity and sexual health. So many young people in America have really poor experiences of sex education growing up, going through their school. So they come to college not knowing much, uh, having porn as sort of their default sex ed in many cases. So I created this large uh, lecture class, and I've been teaching it every term now at the university. Hundreds of students have passed through the course at this point. And it became not just a a learning space, a curricular space for thinking about issues of uh, healthy, intimate relationship, but it became sort of a lab space for me to develop this new book project. So my current book, uh, Good Sex, uh, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution, is full of comments from the students themselves. So it's a very collaborative, interactive book in that way. Uh, it's full of these pull quotes and sidebars uh, that um, share student responses from the course, but their experience uh, trying to figure out intimate relationships and thinking about gender and sexual diversity, uh, sexual justice uh, in America today, so I was really inspired by the students uh, about a, a sense of need on the one hand but also a sense of um, hope and resilience on the other hand. and that's how the book came about
1: so I thought maybe an interesting place to start would be what the students and maybe yourself and the larger conversation what makes Good sex what are they what are they saying I know that's a big thing but that's I, a
2: big, yeah yeah that's a big question uh, it's a great question yeah uh, so that's very much what the book is about and I, I deliberately title the book good sex it's a bit of a play on the word meant to be sort of eye-catching but also a play on the word because good uh, is this, this very grand old word ancient word deep roots in the English language and it carries these dual meanings of both ethical and pleasurable. So I call the book Good Sex, and I'm in this course and with my students, we're interrogating what this means to think about positive sexuality in the 21st century in these two dimensions of both ethical and pleasurable. So how these two aspects, these two definitions of good intertwine in positive sexuality. So I would say good sex is sex that is good, as in ethical, uh, morally commendable on the one hand, and then also good as in uh, pleasurable uh, on the other hand. So as to the ethical, sex is good sex is always consensual, fully adult consensual sex. It does no harm. It impacts people's lives in, in positive ways. And then, as to the pleasurable, good sex is erotic. It's stimulating. It's sensual. It satisfies desire, right? It leads to uh, physical, emotional, social involvement for all, uh, enjoyment for all partners involved. So, in both senses, sex, good sex um, does good and it feels good. And I think it's very important that those two elements be kept in mind and that uh, seen as, as feeding one another, interacting together. So that's the definition of good sex, of a positive sexuality or sex positivity um, that I'm building here in this book.
1: Yeah. So there's so much that goes into how an individual thinks about sex, like how we're raised, culture, our friends, porn now, social Mm -hmm. media. And I think a lot of times it gets confusing, you know, Mm -hmm. like shame arises. So, how do you? talk about that i think it, you know raising awareness of just how all these things impact us but i i just kind of wonder like for myself like if i was raised i don't want to say isolated because mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. in in such a way that i <laughs> was in a vacuum you know and i just had like my evolutionary animalistic feelings about sex without the puritanism and and the media to dilute it, like how I would look at it, you know, if that makes sense, because I look at it and it's confusing sometimes. Sometimes I have shame around it. Sometimes I judge maybe around it, a judge, a a partner for their sexual history, even not like Mm -hmm. overtly, but like it almost like on a subconscious level. So I'm saying a lot here, but how do you think about that in terms of like evolutionarily, what maybe good sex is, and then how that manifests when culture and all these other things are layered on top, how we can think about that in a healthy way?
2: Yeah, well, there's lots there in what you just said, Chase. Yes, lots of really important points. Um Sexuality certainly has this, this built in biological evolutionary aspect to it. it it's, it's how the species reproduces, clearly. Uh, there's it's a, a built in drive, a uh, biological imperative uh, that leads us to connect together and produce babies, and the species continues that way. So, there is that, that sort of biological substratum or bedrock to sexuality. Uh, but then obviously it's a lot more, as you were just describing uh, so it's how we connect in some of the most intimate ways uh with other people. I often think of sexuality as one of the most messy high stakes aspects of being human right it's where it's where we get naked uh, with another person it's where we so there's a physical vulnerability, but then there's also an emotional vulnerability. We open ourselves up. Uh, to, to, to be with another person or to be um, emotionally uh, naked as well as physically naked when you let somebody into your life, let them into your heart. So that it's a high stakes, high risk activity. You're right. So it can lead to, can lead to heartbreak. It can lead to uh, emotional and financial and uh, just logistical chaos when things go wrong. But then there's also this promise, this hope of uh love in some cases we We live in this culture that has a very strong storyline about find your one true love and live happily ever after uh, and that's uh, there's there's power to that love narrative, but it's also a script that can be um, that can put a huge amount of pressure on people. To try to live up to that and then a lot of shame uh, when it feels like it's not quite working out or what am I doing wrong in my relationship. So you're right. All of that goes into sexuality and sexual encounters, this aspect of the biology and the the cultural scripts that we're uh, we're inculcated into growing up with like princess uh, Disney movies. And um, examples we get from family, from media, from social media, from the culture around us. So it's a lot to figure out. Uh, Absolutely. There's a trial and error element to it. Um, As I I mentioned, I think uh, American education often does a pretty poor job of providing high quality, comprehensive sex education in school systems to help kids figure out these issues as they're going through puberty and dealing with hormonal surges and trying to figure out how to have healthy, intimate relationship. And parents can obviously do a lot to uh, sort of pick up that slack. But we as parents, we often carry that same sort of shame that you were talking about or an ignorance or a confusion ourselves, um, a sense of anxiety. How do you talk about sexuality? And so parents often aren't great uh, teachers uh, for their kids, resources for their kids. So it is a it is a high stakes, very important area to think about, um, to try to work through. I think your, your podcast is one place that uh, is trying to provide resources.
1: Well, let's dive into it a little bit because there's obviously lots to talk about, different approaches, but you, you mentioned talking to kids. And I think even if someone listening doesn't have kids, I think it's valuable in the way to maybe reframe the way we think about sexuality as an adult. So I have a seven year old daughter. Uh, Sarah and I have a daughter, Stella, and I want her to, to have everything. <laughs> you know, I want her to, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, to just be a happy, healthy adult one day and kid right now. But as it relates to sexuality, that's more of a thing down the road. But I think it does start now in, like the sense of bodies and what we call our genitals, you know, even the word Mm -hmm. private parts insinuates that this is something I don't know, maybe like there is this idea that it's it's not for everyone. But also, I don't want there to be shame around your quote, private parts. Mm -hmm. So Sarah and I make sure we call the anatomy by its like biological, like Daddy has a penis, mommy has a vagina, not, you know, not a pee pee. Uh And I I think that came from reading about it of like not having stigma around it, that these are just things that we have. And yeah, one day I'm going to teach you what they're used for and (laughs) the birds and the bees, but actually not having the, the birds and the bees conversation, but having like a real conversation of how babies are made and not, I guess, creating like this mysticism around it that we can't talk about it, like that it's a, not appropriate for them right. because it is, you know, obviously there's like stages. So what are some ways that we could talk to a kid about sexuality, but also in the framework of thinking
2: about it for ourselves? Yeah. I, well, I think it sounds like you and Sarah are great parents. You're doing exactly what you should with your daughter. Yeah. I think that that's wonderful to be thinking through these these issues, uh, how to be a good parent to kids, how to help develop a sense of uh healthy, intimate relationship and sexuality early on. So there's a responsibility for parents, there's a responsibility in the schools uh to do the same as well. So I think for young kids in particular, there's some really important messages. And they in sex education, they talk about how it can be scaffolded. So uh, messages that are appropriate, you know, age-appropriate scaffolding. So you talk to little kids, primary school kids, in a different way, obviously, than you would middle school kids, high school kids, college kids. But there's some very important lessons as you're as you were just saying that that are absolutely appropriate for young kids, uh, even seven year olds, primary school kids. Um, I'd say there's there's three that I would highlight is very important at that age. One, like you were just talking about, is to name the parts of the body, that's really important. And to do it in a, a shame-free way. So like you're saying, otherwise, there's a sense of stigma, um, that there's something dirty, nasty, wrong about your genitals. If you can't name them, like we teach kids, you know, eyes, ears, mouth, and nose, these little, here's your your shoulders, here's your elbows, we teach them the parts of their body. And then if you suddenly go blank in your, your private parts, it uh, instills a sense of shame. And it also means they don't have the words to talk about their own body and to be able to protect themselves against uh, issues of uh, sexual harassment or sexual abuse, child sexual abuse. They need to be able to, to know that they have parts of their body that are theirs, um, that are private and that others shouldn't touch. And they need the words to talk about that. So it, to just have the shame-free knowledge of their body, that's really important. Uh, to have this sense of... Um, uh, the privacy of their body, their personal bodily autonomy, to be able to protect themselves, to stand up for themselves, uh, and be their their own first line of defense against any sort of uh, inappropriate touch. That's really important. It relates to wider issues of consent. So in the in the age of Me Too, you know, consent is foundational to everything. And these are lessons that kids could be taught. Um, That they should not be touched uh, in in the private parts of their body and in their genitalia, but also that they have the right, um, like, you know, there's that sort of that trope about the, I don't know, the grandma or the uncle coming in for the big hug, just grabbing their little kid up and, oh, you're so cute and grabbing their cheeks and uh, kissing them. And, you know, that's often kids don't like that and they have the right to say no. So not all kids are huggers or snugglers. Um, and they have the right to set their own boundaries. That's an important lesson that kids uh, deserve to learn early on. And then I think the third lesson that's really appropriate for kids around, um, sexuality is to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion really early on. So some kids have a mommy and a daddy, and some kids have two daddies, or some kids have two mommies and, uh, you know, families come in all sorts of forms, uh, some kids have a non-gender binary uh, parent or they're looked after by grandparents or foster caregivers. You know, families come in all sorts of forms. And what's important is that there's love and support in the family, not that it matches up to some sort of, uh, you know, patriarchal notion of the, the mom in the kitchen and the dad out at work. You know, so that there's there's diversity Um underlined and supported and celebrated from the get-go in in kids' minds. Uh, So I I think these lessons start early and then they get reinforced uh, and they become more nuanced and spelled out as kids grow up. And hopefully they're hearing these lessons at home, they're hearing them at school, they're hearing them in sort of the the cultural uh, storylines and social media and the visual culture of movies, film, etc uh tv um peppa the pig you know peppa the pig this yep. little kid's oh, yeah. uh animated cartoon they had just this past term they had their first storyline about uh uh two moms a lesbian couple raising um i don't know the story that like, i guess it's about raising piglets i don't mm-hmm. follow peppa the pig but having their first uh diverse story around uh gender, sexual diversity. So we're hearing this more throughout the culture. And these, I think, are are great developments.
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. We touch on this concept in our episodes frequently. We're better able to show up as our best selves in relationships when our bodies and minds are in a state of harmony. PMS and perimenopause throw a wrench in that whole state of harmony thing. Many women in our community have seen their relationships and their own mental health suffer when PMS and perimenopause symptoms set in. Our sponsor, Happy Mammoth, saw that there was no effective nature-inspired solutions to these issues, so they made one. EstroControl. Relationship advice listeners can now get 15% off your first order on happymammoth.com with our promo code IDO at checkout. EstroControl is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. EstroControl contains science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health. The way EstroControl eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients help support the liver and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when estrogen isn't processed well in our liver, women may start having PMS symptoms like spots in the skin, cravings, and feeling low all of a sudden. Estrocontrol was created to help women feel like themselves throughout the whole month. Estrocontrol is made specifically for women who are premenopausal. It's really great for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can become especially rough. PMS has been a constant challenge throughout my life, from feeling down to sleeplessness to just not feeling comfortable in my own skin. PMS has put me through the ringer time and time again, and I know it's not just me. I've seen my relationship suffer in those times when PMS takes over. Estro control works to relieve many of those consuming PMS symptoms, helping us regain control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first month at happymammoth.com with the promo code DO at checkout. That's com, and use the promo code DO for 15% off your first order.
1: Here's one for you that might answer some more questions. What age... Or how should I think about Stella seeing me naked? Because that's something that I've been thinking about. I'm naked around her, and it's not like a thing, you know. Like I'll take a shower. Sometimes I shower with her. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a child psychologist. So I I, I think there's no one answer. I think right. there's tons of ways for parents and kids to have a happy supportive healthy family home life. I think it's important not to stigmatize the the naked body that there shouldn't be shame or fear or anxiety around the body. There's a there's part of I think the sort of moment that we're in of new gender and sexual revolution is um a real emphasis on body positivity and body acceptance. We're seeing that with like plus size models or um, underwear companies using disabled models or real people uh, to uh, to advertise model their products so there's uh, there's less you know there's more about um uh, there's less fat shaming um and sort of more discourse about that so all about all of that is about celebrating the body saying it's perfectly normal natural we all have a body bodies come in different shapes and sizes there's nothing shameful about the body in and of itself privacy is an important concept um, one doesn't walk around naked in public uh, unless one is in a nudist uh, colony and and everybody's agreed, so that there's issues of consent there. But I think it's perfectly possible to have uh, happy, healthy nudity in the home. Like sometimes it just happens. You know, you're bathing kids and you're bathing yourself, or you're changing, and the. The child walks in the in the room where you're changing, I think it's better to be normal and natural about that than to like suddenly grab clothes or a robe and try to immediately cover up like uh, there's something horrific about the naked body. so I think parents and kids families work these issues out for themselves um, I suspect kids have as they grow up, they have different attitudes towards that themselves preferences that they might want to express uh, about. Um, like when they get old enough to bathe themselves and when they want privacy in the bathroom. Um, And I think, you know, in healthy families, you can work these issues out with uh, just sort of strong communication skills, open discussion.
1: Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot as a child psychologist, but I think that (laughs) everything you said is valuable because I think it can help us think about when we were children. And I can imagine, you know, if you did have a father who like you walked in when you were seven, and he covered up and was like, "No, no, no, no!" Like get out, and no, uh, right, you can't right. see this, and and then maybe was that like, "That
2: could be sort of traumatic, right?" Yeah, like, oh, exactly. The, the naked body is shameful. Right. this is a a horror. Yeah,
1: yeah. Make sure you knock next time. And I'm sure that's happened. And and I'm not not to criticize those parents. Everyone's doing the best they can. But it's interesting mm-hmm. when we start to you know as a parent but then reflecting back on our own childhood which is where mm-hmm. a lot of these our views on sexuality came from and being like oh mm-hmm. that's right, why i right. have so much shame around my exactly. body because there was all this taboo around it in the house mm-hmm. and that kind of yeah. brings us back to to talking to our audience obviously people in our audience are parents but just thinking about how all these things Influence our views on sexuality and and as I said, trying to frame it like if if I was in a vacuum, how I would think about it and it helps me be i guess less judgmental towards myself and towards others and, and there's levels to it I'm not going around telling anyone what to do with their body and but i I have noticed in myself that when I have had partners and They have much different approaches to sexuality and and how they view it. Like it could be just number of partners, how, you know, they approach sexuality as a very physical act and emotionally it it doesn't mean much to them and that's interesting because for me it's both it's very physical and I'm very emotionally engaged and and there's a lot of emotion around it and so it's been interesting and valuable for me to to have these partners that have different approaches because it's boring if everyone's the same and because it's like oh wow like that's so Different than the way I approach it and the way I feel, and I think in the context of relationships, that's why it's so important to have these conversations with your partner, to understand for ourselves, but then to share with our partners so we can see where where each of us is coming from, have more empathy, and, and then ultimately connect better in emotionally and sexually.
2: -hmm Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot there. and what you were just saying, Chase, it's very important, very powerful. So we all carry I, I use the term scripts we carry these scripts these narratives in our in our head that you you learn about growing up and then you sort of inculcate you make them your own and in some cases they can be uh they can be really limiting uh so scripts about gender and sexuality uh traditional notions of masculinity and femininity, how we're supposed to live out live live embody our gender and then live out our sexuality. And they can uh, inhibit people from, they can block people from having, I think, uh, healthy, intimate lives and, and connection with each other. I've been thinking a lot about, recently, the scripts about masculinity, that guys grow up with, little boys are, are taught, and how those are changing nowadays. Uh, so we live in, a, I think, a really interesting time in that regard. So there's these traditional notions of masculinity, uh, they, they call it the man box. Sometimes the little boys are, you know, told messages like big boys don't cry, and you're supposed to be tough and uh, grow up, be a man, don't be a pussy, don't be a wussy. Uh, a lot of shaming and bullying around gender, and those traditional gender messages include. Uh, scripts about mass about sexuality so traditionally you had to be heterosexual you had to be a sexual player you had to be dominant in control in the bedroom masterful like uh, a great lover who the big erection that you can hold forever and right, to please your woman and all of these scripts about gender and sexuality and so this this man box uh traditional masculinity in a way in a lot of ways it's it's what there's toxic elements to it, right? So we've been talking more about toxic masculinity in the culture recently and how it's bad. It can be bad in relationships, but it can be really uh, toxic for a guy himself that it involves shutting down emotions. So traditionally in toxic masculinity, you can be angry uh, anger is a an allowable emotion, but that tenderness, that emotional expressiveness that you were talking about, that connecting emotionally being vulnerable and looking to develop, develop an emotional connection is often not part of a you know, traditional valued uh, type of dominant masculinity. So in the new, we're talking more about the new masculinity, new inclusive masculinities. Uh, so in the plural, the sense that there's more than one way to be a good man. Um, I think that's a really interesting discourse that I'm hearing more and more about, and that my students, guy students, are talking about um, the sense. And you know, the American Psychological Association came out with a report just in it was in 2018 about the cost to boys themselves of these restrictive uh, man box rules, and how it would be better for boys, better for men, better for women, better for everyone, the culture as a whole, if we open up the man box and have a wider array of emotional expression allowed to boys and it it would impact um intimate lives it would impact sexuality it would uh and we're starting to see this i think in in um depictions of masculinity and social media tiktok young people in particular non gender binary uh thing even um Uh, unisex clothing is another way where we're starting to see this. So just more openness, uh, I think ends up being better for everyone. Uh, I think that's a very interesting development that we're tracing these days.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of positivity in what seems like an understanding of how our history has clouded how we think about sexuality and with a lot of negativity, with a lot of shame. So just that mm-hmm. awareness is, is super valuable. I want to ask you, one of the things that, that I said in the beginning that you address in the book is what sex is worth having? Because I think there's lots mm-hmm. of scripts around that. And uh, I certainly have mine. So I'm curious what that conversation looks like.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I was talking about sex positivity or positive sexuality. And one misunderstanding uh, of that term is that it's um, an encouragement or uh, an emphasis that more people need to be having more sex all the time. That uh, in order to be, I don't know, cool or with it in the 21st century, you got to be out there having having hot, wild sex. Uh, and that's not what sex positivity is about at all. So that, that phrase that you were using, what sex is worth having, or what intimate relationships are worth having, is really key, so in a from a point of view of positive sexuality, um, uh, we would be against uh, slut shaming, for instance, so taking away the double standards that guys can uh, have multiple partners but women can't. so trying to undo slut shaming, but also undo virgin shaming, prude shaming, so there can be pressure. My students talk about this in campus hookup culture, for example, pressure to be sexually active before you're really ready to do so or in situations where you're not really interested in doing so. And that is not a a positive development. That's not an example of sex positivity. That would be sex negativity, right? Nobody should ever be pushed or pressured into um, sexual relationships or activity like by this cultural sense that uh, the, the hookup is where it's at or that this is what you have to do. Uh, nowadays to be to be out there to be having fun so uh, from a sex positive perspective we would be giving people the information the cultural space uh, the support to think through their own values and their desires to be able to connect uh, with their desires uh, in a shame-free way and to be able to have the communication skills the self-advocacy skills sense of cultural support To have conversation with others, to develop relationship with others, to be able to figure out what, yeah, what relationships are worth having, what sexual activity is worth having, uh, that's consonant with your desires, that is responsive to full informed adult consent. Talking through in in a deep way uh, what consent means in any given circumstance. Uh, So it's not always about more sex at all. In thinking about gender and sexual diversity, asexuality is another term that is becoming more current in the culture. So i got lots of asexual students these days, students who are on the ace spectrum, for whom sexuality is not a big deal. It's not a driving force in their life at all. They may still be interested in romantic relationships, in intimate uh, emotional relationships of various sorts, but not sexual ones. And that's perfectly consonant with a notion of sex positivity also. So yeah, asking all sorts of questions about um, when and where sex is uh, the right decision for you.
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors.
1: I'm thinking about all this individually and as a father. and, And I think that's really valuable to think about that there is no right or wrong way of saying what sex is worth having. What sex is worth having is whatever you decide. And what I hear you saying is, but our decisions can be clouded by pressure, by culture, by all these things. So really trying to unpack that and then checking in with yourself and going, ah, you know what? I don't really want to have sex with this particular person or a person right now, but I feel pressure because all my friends are having sex. And, Mm -hmm. you know, especially (laughs) as a guy. And I remember feeling that around losing my virginity. You know, I was 18 when I did and I wouldn't change anything, but it it very much was not like how I would want to, do it again, you know, Uh or how I would want Stella to do. It It was more like, let me get this over with because it was like the pressure of I'm 18. I should have had sex by now. My friends are having sex and we all do the best we can. But I think as I think about this in the context of of Stella, my seven year old, and when when she's getting closer to puberty of teaching her to really check in with herself and and to really go, you know, what is it that I want? And am I doing this out of what reasons do I feel the need to, and obviously in consent and all these things that will be really important for her to understand. But I think even as an adult, even as a 37-year-old who is dating myself, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, why am I trying to to be in a relationship? What does that mean to me? What am I trying to get validation from sex? All of these things are important things to ask uh, ourselves, whether we're single, whether we're teaching our, our children, or if we've been married for 30 years, there's a lot to unpack.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great points. And in relation to the story you were telling about yourself as an 18-year-old and your hopes for your daughter who's seven now. Yeah, I hear those same things, the same anxieties from my students. Guys definitely can get pressured into sex they don't want, they're not ready for. It's a lot of uh, shaming the virgin shaming that you were talking about or just the you know still narratives around masculinity you know aren't you aren't you man enough? Can't you get it up? Don't you think I'm pretty uh, so guys' consent can get violated in all of those ways, not you know so much the sort of uh, the, the physical violation of consent, a forcible rape that was sort of our stereotype of rape, but um guys can get pressured uh, emotionally manipulated and coerced into. Sex out of a shaming around their gender. So that's one way that uh, we need to support boys more, young men as they're coming into a sense of their sexual identity. And then for girls, uh, the way it often plays out is that girls are still taught um, that their job is to look sexy uh, and not so much allow the space to explore their own sexual desire. So the, these are narratives that are also changing gender scripts around femininity in the culture that have, you know, the, the women's movement and its various waves uh, has, feminism has certainly changed these scripts about what women can do and what their role in society is. But there's still this, this lingering emphasis that a woman uh, is supposed to look good and that part of the role she plays in the culture and in heterosexual relationships is to satisfy male desire. She's there to... know, to to be looked at, to look good, to embody a certain groomed vision of feminine attractiveness and uh, to satisfy male desire. So in in hookup culture, in particular on college campuses, I hear this all the time from my students, there's this orgasm gap. uh, The traditional heterosexual hookup uh, is about uh, the male orgasm and not the female orgasm. It's about uh, a guy uh, the, a guy having his pleasure attended to, having his desire met, and a woman not. She's there to satisfy his desire, and even a a, a girl, a woman. Like girls have lower rates of masturbation than boys. There's less cultural encouragement to explore your body, to get to know how your body works, to figure out how your how your pleasure works, how your body works for pleasure, what feels good for you. And less um, support to be able to express that to a partner. Say, "Hey, this feels good to me. How about we try this?" So the girls uh, need to be supported in uh, connecting with their desire in a, a shame-free, uh, a shame-free way, and that's not easy. They're, that's not easy work at all that involves changing gender scripts and as well as scripts about sexuality in the culture. The orgasm gap does close. uh, uh, Research shows uh, as couples get to know each other better, uh, this heterosexual orgasm gap shrinks. And interestingly, it doesn't seem to exist in same-sex hookups. Uh, So there's a lesson there uh, as well.
1: So much to talk about. And uh, Catherine, I think today we covered a lot. Um, <laughs> I didn't anticipate on getting into to parenting stuff, but it's all kind of connected and I think super of valuable to think about. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on and have this discussion. Before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, where they can find the book? And then if there's anything we skipped over or something you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: Uh yes well thanks for having me on Chase it's been a very interesting conversation i think these connections to parenting are really important because we 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 as adults we carry these ideas about gender and sexuality from our experiences growing up as as children and as teens in both family situations and in the culture so i think it's really important to uh reflect back on that and to as adults and teachers and parents to try to do our best possible job with the young people, uh, in our charge. Um, I'm, I have a website at my new, new college, uh, departmental space at the university of Alabama. So you can find me on my website there through new college at the university of Alabama. My new book is out, uh, just this fall from Indiana university press. Good Sex, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution. And uh, your listeners can buy it through Amazon or through their order it through a local bookstore. And it's available at the Indiana University Press website as well. Excellent. I, I, I do a, a weekly newsletter uh, for my students that other um, people interested uh, are uh, able to subscribe to as well. And there's a link to the newsletter on my website at the University of Alabama. So I'd be happy to connect with people that way too.
1: We will have those links in our show notes and on our website, iDupodcast.com. Thanks again for taking the time to come on the show.
2: Thank you, Chase. Have a good
1: day.
0: with your partner, or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day.
1: You are listening to a pleasure podcast.